break them down in twos. <laughs> nah, we do. Baby, breathe. Oh, oh. If oh. you tell me right now to play, I don't even play. have a bad issue. You don't need your one. Your <laughs> you don't got nothing. You just said you sit and try it. You just said you, you, you got it here because of my name. All right, everyone. Welcome to an edition of the Ball Street Journal podcast. We've gotten through six months of regular season basketball, and now finally the playoffs are here. And I got Nishan on the line with me. What's up, dude? Hey, man. How's it going? It's good. It's good. I'm excited for this weekend, especially the, like the first round. It's like the first day on Saturday and Sunday. It's like four games on each day. So it's like the greatest time for an NBA fan. Love it. I love this time of the year. Although the games aren't always the most competitive, uh, the players are always trying their hardest. Yeah. At least, you know, like teams are actually trying and not just being like, hey, it's the regular season, whatever. Um, but before we get into like some of these playoffs matchups, I think... Last night was like pretty exciting in the sense that I remember we wanted to do this pod like earlier, but the problem was none of the matchups were like set till like the end of last night. And the only one that was set before last night's game so was Indiana Boston. And the crazy, do you see that crazy comeback? Like Portland came back from 26 down. down. 26. Yeah. And they only played six players all game and none of them were their top players and they was- still beat. Sacramento wasn't one of them like a 10 10 day 10 day contract kind of guy like or some daily guy that they just brought up for the game yeah like the player I checked the box score and it was like all these like some of these players I knew from like college but um like they played at like one of them Gary Trent played at Duke and some of these players I've heard of but I was like oh my god and but Sacramento also did this weird thing where they played all their starters in the first half like their big guys like Fox um and Buddy, and they scored like more than eighty points in the first half. Then for some reason, they just rested them for the second half. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe they knew it's because uh, uh, Dave Yeager was gonna get fired, so he's like, "Fuck it, might as well go out in the blaze of glory," right? <laughs> yeah, I guess they were like, "Oh, we gotta fire the coach tomorrow, so let's just <laughs> rest the starters in the second half, so he <laughs> we can just say he went out with the loss and fired him." <laughs> yeah. And then the other one was like the Nuggets were down 11 with two or three minutes to go, and they went on a 15-0 run to win the game and clinch the two seed. Like some of this, like most incredible <laughs> game on um, game 82 of the season that I saw, I've seen. <laughs> yeah, this is the most interesting like last five days of the NBA season in a while. I think both because the games were really competitive, but also all these like trademark, you know, Dirk Nowitzki's last home game, Dwayne Wade's last home game. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki getting an amazing, amazing reception at in San Antonio where he, you know, battled for years and years. And then Dwayne Wade getting a triple-double on his last game ever. I mean, this is kind of, this is like just incredible, like basketball, mostly because like we're starting to get older and these are players that have like defined our uh, basketball career so far. Exactly. And, I mean, it, it's just um, incredible with the storylines that we saw and then all the off-court stuff. Um, that's been going on but I think that's like what that's for another pod like all this off-court drama we'll get to that like when we get to the offseason but we finally have some basketball to talk to so I think we'll go through these eight playoff matchups um, we'll just alternate like I'll pick one you pick one and we'll just go from what we think is like probably the least competitive to the most competitive and just cycle through them um, so I'll start off I think the least competitive it's probably going to be Bucks and Pistons <laughs> in the east um uh, don't really see any, any prospects for the Pistons here, um, especially with Blake being injured. And Bucks are dominant. I mean, they're going to be missing Meritage and Brockton, but 
I still think it's going to be like a sweep. I don't really see any chances for the Pistons. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think Detroit um, started coming apart at the seams at the end of the season. I mean, they just, I think Blake Griffin, who I think is going to be, should be an uh, all NBA player because of what he's done to this almost sorry team to drag them along. He's, he's, he's essentially has like no leg. I mean, I think, uh, I think he, he's doing things that, uh, in other years, I feel like he would have just sat out because these games wouldn't have been consequential. But, but because he's in Detroit and they made that big, big trade, they don't want to bench him. Exactly. And, and I think, they. I mean, they Detroit achieved what it kind of wanted to when it made the Blake Griffin trade is that they weren't a playoff team. Now they're a playoff team. Blake Griffin, like he played at an all-NBA level. It seems like he'll probably make one of the, probably all-NBA 13 this year. Um, but they, they played really well in February, March. And it was like, Oh, this this is going to be a six seed, and then Brooklyn and Orlando somehow just overtook them, and then now they're stuck with the Bucks. I mean, not that I think they would have like even if they were seventh or six seed, they would have taken out one of those top four seeds. But um, it's it's still a good season for Detroit. This is why they got Dwayne Casey, Blake Griffin. Um, not everyone can win a championship, and some teams at the end of the day just want to get even make the playoffs because it the owner like it helps them like with the money situation, extra playoff games. So. I think for it's a good story for Detroit, and but hopefully I'm sure the Bucks are just going into this series wanting to finish it as quickly as possible so that they could get healthy and get some rest. Yeah, I think the biggest storyline for the series really for me is uh, what Giannis does in the playoffs. I mean, I think there's always been that uh, idea that Giannis has grown a lot in the regular season as hasn't been able to show that in the playoffs, but now he has a good system around him. This is his team. He has a couple of guys that are missing, but can he take the next leap to not go from just being the likely MVP, but to being the face of the NBA, uh, becoming the LeBron James of the East now? Yeah. I, um, last year we saw with Giannis against the Celtics where he looked good, but his team just didn't um, perform up to his level at certain times. Um, but, you know, this year now he's got a little bit more help, like they, with the signings of Brook Lopez. And I think that should definitely help. And I think the biggest difference from Milwaukee at the end of the day was their coach. Um, Budenhol- the upgrade from Kidd and Joe Prunty last year to Budenholz and now has like made all the difference in the world for this team. Uh, so, and he's a play, he's been in the playoffs before like Budenholzer. So he's taken a team, uh, to the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, granted that they got swept by LeBron at that time, but still, I think this is what Budenholzer is good at. He's good at maximizing his teams and, the one advantage he does have now is he probably has the best player in every series in these playoffs. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this would be really disappointing if this becomes more than, I would say, like uh, a four to five game series. I would be pretty disappointed in Milwaukee. I think ultimately, I agree with you. I think this is going to be a sweep. Yeah, it should be a sweep. If any, if the Pistons somehow get a game, I think it'll be a miracle. But uh, I think that's that's pretty pretty much covered this series. It shouldn't be like too big of a deal. So, who do you want to focus on now? Yeah, I think the next, uh, it's, I'm going to stay in the Eastern Conference. I think the next series that I'm looking forward to think seeing, but I really think it's going to be a quick series, is the Toronto-Orlando series. Um, I think Orlando is another team that sort of for years has been on the, uh, has been the tanking team, hasn't really made any moves. Really since like the Dwight Howard years, they haven't made any significant run in the playoffs. Um, and I think their goal this year, after acquiring so many assets for a long time, was to make that playoff push. And we saw that they they didn't fold when things got tough and 
they kept pushing on and they have a bunch of young guys that are learning how to win and learning how to play. They finished with a winning record. At, this must be the first time in like 10 years that they finished with a winning record, 42 and 40. Uh, but unfortunately, I mean, I think Toronto is, I think Toronto is probably the most complete defensive team. I know Milwaukee has been the best defensive team in the regular season, but if you look at the top five starting uh, starting guys for Toronto, I mean, where's the weakness on defense? Cal Lowry, historically a pretty good defender, has been injured this year. Um, you look at, you know, uh, number two, if like you have Danny Green out there as your number two, he's the best transition defensive player in the league. Uh, if you got Pascal Siakam or Kawhi Leonard at the four, uh, three and four, respectively, I mean, those guys are amazing defenders. And then now they have Marcus Gasol, who is, I think, you know, that was the weakness for Toronto uh, in the in the past was that they didn't have a big guy. Um, but Marcus Gasol, I mean, he's not, he's a little bit of a shell of himself in, in terms of defensive player of the year, but he's still no, he's no, he's no scrub. And the crazy part is all these, with all these guys, like we'd even talk about um, like someone like OG Ananobi. Um, I mean, granted, not with much success, but um, it's it's just Toronto is like just if they want sometimes at the at the five they could play um, and they could even move shift sometimes. So Toronto really has no defense. But I, I guess what I wanted to ask you was I don't know if you saw this stat where since February first, Orlando was the number one team in defensive efficiency so do you think that was one of those like fluke stats like schedule based on schedule or like do you think this Orlando Magic can actually be like a good defensive team I mean I think they have the the versatility in their players to have a good defensive team right like they have the 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 wing players who are have like long large wingspans who can really go out there and play some good defense now ultimately do I think that that's going to transition into playoff defense I don't think so I think that in some ways I would have to look at their strength of schedule but I'm sure some of it was strength of schedule uh, I think some of it was playing teams uh, on nights when you know the, the teams that had had less to play for were maybe not playing as hard or not not going a hundred percent I mean I think Orlando has surprised me this regular season I didn't think that they were going to be as good as they turned out to be I thought it was going to be another one of those years where like they can't put anything together they don't have a good identity but they do they are a pretty good defensive team um, and to and in their defense like I don't think Toronto is the unstoppable offensive juggernaut um, that I think some of the other top teams in the east and west are I think Toronto is very methodical and they can be very good but I don't think they have Kawhi is really great but I don't think they have like a lights out guy who can take over games um, quite the way that some of the other superstars can offensively speaking yeah that, that's true um, and, and the real test for Toronto in the past is like we've seen that this team can get past the first round and they could beat these lower tier teams it's they all year they've they've been saying like the reason that they made this trade for uh, traded away DeRozan, their franchise guy for Kawhi, is for the later rounds in the playoffs when they didn't have like that that player. Like now they have a former Finals MVP, someone who we think is. I mean, we've seen that he could be better than uh, DeRozan at his max level. So the question is like, will he be there playing at his max level in the pl- in the playoffs, or is he kind of checked out if he knows that he's going to go to the Clippers anyways? And, you know, he's not, he's not been playing a lot of, like, consecutive games. I mean, granted, in the playoffs, there's always one or two days between games. But I wonder how that will affect Kawhi. But I think with this series, it shouldn't be too much of a problem for Toronto. It'll be the, 
next round where I think it'll be more interesting. Um, did you want to hit on anything else on this series, or are we good? No, I think I I, I imagine this is going to be a four to five game series as well. Yeah, I, I'm. I think I'll probably take the Raptors. Raptors in five, maybe. What about you? Yeah, I think I I would say Raptors in five as well. All right. Um. So the next series I think we could hit is the the uh on in the West the Warriors and Clippers the one eight matchup here. Um. So the Warriors, I guess, like they didn't win like they still ended up not winning less than 60 games this year which i thought they should hit but i think a lot of the similar things that kind of uh affected them last year hit them again this year with just players not as interested some injuries players resting um and the Draymond KD stuff in middle but ultimately they rebounded got the number one seed and i think this is the best possible matchup for the warriors they wanted this matchup in the sense that the travel will be easy they get to stay in the state and they know that they they can own the Clippers. Like the Clippers are a nice story, especially in the regular season. They'll work hard, and they're a hard hard working team, well coached. But in the playoffs, like they don't. Have, I mean, Lou Williams is their like quote unquote superstar, but I think it's like he's not on the level of like what the talent that the Warriors have. So I don't think this could be too much trouble for them, anyways. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think that finally the team's gonna be hundred percent locked in. I'm, I'm interested to see how they're going to incorporate Boogie because I feel like over the last like three or four weeks, they've been uh, ascending the role of Boogie and the numbers for some of the other players have taken a hit. Um, Boogie's, you know, r- routinely been at, like, getting 20 points a game recently. But I wonder if in the playoffs they're going to revert back to the old school play, which is like, you know, more outside in instead of inside out basketball. That That's a good point, especially in the closing moments of playoffs games um i think we all can agree that the the hamptons five lineup is what's been so successful for them in the past and you know like how is someone like boogie gonna take that i think he'll have to accept the fact that you know they're those five are the ones who've closed playoff games together in the past have won two championships so but it's always interesting when a soup like a guy like boogie who's sometimes emotional how will we handle not being in the game and a lot of times you, he's someone who they can scheme out of a game and he's not that great defensively so that's that's a good point I, I didn't think about that actually yeah this is the first season where i think they're going into the playoffs without a completely unified uh, identity like i feel like there is different puzzles to what the golden state warriors have been this year you know there's been time where they've been steph's team there's been time they've been kd's team there's been times where they've been uh, Boogie's team so like now it's time to figure out what their real identity is and if they can find it um, and then the biggest thing is I think if they are to have any losses in this playoffs it's some of it might be self-inflicted because now they're almost playing them against the referees at least a little bit because they've they've shown that they haven't been able to hold their composure and uh, I, we really have to see what this team comes out to be like are they going to complain the whole time especially because I think the Clippers are a pretty uh, pretty get under your skin kind of team you know they're gonna do things that are gonna annoy you I, I imagine Pat Beverly is gonna yeah, try to do a say. couple of things to get Stephen Curry in compromising positions you know and so are they gonna be able to take that or are people gonna start getting ejected which is awful in the playoffs because the implications can be very high even missing just one game we know that from when they lost the, the Warriors when uh, Draymond missed that one pivotal game in the finals exactly a couple years ago where Pat Beverly got under Steph Curry's skin 
It's like even from like what Beverly does, and you know, it's it's the Clippers are one of those teams where like their Warriors are gonna come out with some like nicks and wounds after this series for sure because the yeah. Clippers are like they. Just yeah, I hundred percent agree. I mean, I I think uh, I'm actually. Really, this is the first time I think a Golden State Warriors uh, first round series I'm actually interested in watching rather than just, you know, knowing that they're going to be crushing the opponent. I think they might win by a lot, but uh, I'm interested to see who are the Warriors this year. It'll be it'll be interesting, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so many storylines, but... Um, and I, I mean, yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I still can't believe that them and the Rockets possibly are going to face off in the semifinals this year after that epic uh, conference finals last year yeah but uh, i mean they have to get through the clippers we've already seen that um i don't know if you saw in like the second to last game or the last game at, at the pelicans like steph curry turned an ankle yeah um, he did. they minimized the injury said it's not a big deal steve, steve Kerr said that you know he'll, he'll be ready for game one but you know this is how these series turn quickly like you know he, he even if it's a lightly sprained ankle and he's playing on it Maybe he like turns it again, and that's how the whole series can change. So you never know. And we know that that's his Achilles' heel, his ankles. No pun intended. But like, that <laughs> that that's what that's what held that's what plagued him the early part of his career, and why when you see his ankles when he plays the games now, he's wearing braces on both sides. Yep. All right. So we'll hit. What series do you want to hit on next? Um, I think the next uh, least competitive series. As much as I think it's going to be very exciting, I think Philadelphia, Brooklyn. Um, mm. is probably the least exciting and I think that's really only for one reason which is uh, there's no one on Brooklyn that can stop Joel Embiid and so I think Joel Embiid if he can play any games I know he's going to be a little bit hurt in the beginning of the series I don't think he's going to miss the whole series um, but he may you know, have limited time or may miss the first couple games but um, I just think that he's too much of a force for Brooklyn and as much as I like uh um, GRL and I think he's he struggles with with the big physicality that Joel Embiid brings. Yeah, that's the only concern for the Sixers, pretty much. If Joel Embiid is going to be able to play or not, um, I mean, the fact that Elton Brand said that he should be ready, like it's almost like a maybe. It that the way he said it. I don't know if that's just to like kind of throw off the opponent, and you know maybe it's like oh Joel may not play, like kind of playing games with the opponent, but. He has been like been rested towards the second half of the season, um, for like quote unquote load management and like left knee soreness. So maybe it's something worse than what it actually is, and they're just not letting us letting us on to what it is. But that's really the only concern. I mean, if you if you go through the both teams and list like the best players in the series, it's probably like Embiid, Simmons, Butler, then maybe like D'Angelo, and then like Tobias Harris. So like. The Sixers have like four out of the five best players in this series, and then if you add like Reddick, so probably like five out of the six best players. So the talent is there, just that the Sixers haven't played that many games together with their starting lineup. So it's like, are they going to mesh in the playoffs? That's like my only concern. Yeah, and then the other thing is like, I think uh, Brooklyn has an identity when they get, you know, are trying to close out games. I don't think Philadelphia has that identity. I mean, they have done the classic, give it to Jimmy Butler, let him do his thing. They've won a couple of games like that with Heroics. They really just shy away from anything Ben Simmons at the end of the game. They do do like <laughs> give it to Embiid and let him run down the clock with his back to the basket, old school basketball, um, which works with some efficiency. But I think uh, if it came to a coaching decision, I think uh, 
Kenny Atkinson is a much more creative offensive coach than Brett Brown. And I think that that's ultimately the the weakest part of Philadelphia is I think their coaching. Yeah, it's it's very suspect. Um, I think if you go through that, if you go back to that Boston and Philly s- series last year, towards the end of the game, like Brad Stevens had his team like way more prepared and ready than Brett Brown. Yeah. And the Sixers just didn't know how to close out those games. And maybe that's where Jimmy Butler comes through now. We'll see. You said you can't go to Simmons. He can't shoot a jump shot or a free throw. So, like, how are you going to go to him at the end of the game? So, let's... Yeah, I, ho- I hope I hope that he does for the sake of the city that I live in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That, I forgot about that. Um... No, I, I think I do want to see... Um... One other thing from Brooklyn, which is, I think this is this is the playoff appearance where they can really, really show the free agents what they're made of. I mean, they're a bunch of young guys, but they they play very very well and very very unified. And I think Sandeep and I talked about it in the last pod about how fun how much fun they are to watch. And if they can continue that, they can show that they that they are the fun team to watch and to be with and to be around. Uh, I think they can hopefully be able to attract some free agents that they haven't been able to in the past good point yeah i mean they have a good good roster like a lot of young players and players on controllable contracts and like not like a bunch of max players so yeah a free agent can slide in there and just like he would have like a team around him and i think that's that's attractive but i think like you said a playoff performance like even if they take the six or seven games i think that would make them a more attractive team going into free agency and even if they don't, if if they just if the Sixers who have two guys that are going to be free agents this offseason, right, and Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler, if those guys just look across the court and see the other team having a lot more fun, I mean, what's what's the uh, what's not to say that they won't try to jump ship? Like when KD saw the Warriors having a lot of fun in that uh, Western Conference Finals three years ago, four years ago, no, three years ago, twenty sixteen, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what's not to say that Jimmy Butler is not going to look over and be like, hey, maybe I want to run with the guys in Brooklyn. He could. He very well could. It's just whether Brooklyn would want him at that point. <laughs> yeah, if anyone wants him. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's get to the next series. So I think the next one I'm going to go with is... think We'll go with Denver and San Antonio. Um, very interesting series. I... I know a lot of people like the things that, that just like going reading stuff and listening to stuff. A lot of people are speculative about Denver just because of their youth and lack of playoff experience, except for Paul Millsap and Isaiah Thomas and it doesn't play. So it doesn't really matter. So people are spe- like, you know, they're like, Oh, it's only Paul Millsap with playoff experience. Will that matter? But I just feel like sometimes, you know, when it, when a team has like done well throughout the year, especially Denver in a Western conference, um, and I think there's just like a, they have way more talent and depth than the Spurs because starting with Jokic, Murray, Harris, Barton, like you just go through their team and you're like, this is a better team than San Antonio. The only difference is the coaching where Pop has a huge advantage on Malone and the experience. But how much of like uh, emphasis do you think we should place on the lack of experience for Denver? Well, I think the problem with the lack of experience for Denver is I think that as much as I like Jokic, I think he's a schemable player. And so I think having so what do you a guy mean by, like, what do you mean by like that, like schemable? Like I think he has very evident defensive uh, 
inefficiencies and lapses that someone can target and tire him out offensively. He's also a big guy who has a really nice basketball game, but requires the ball quite frequently, whether it's his playmaking or whether it's his back to the basket um, sort of basketball play. And so I think Pop is the enemy of that, which is he can scheme out any one player. Now, what that leaves is very, very competent players like Murray and Harris. The only problem that I see with Murray, Harris, and Barton, who I think would be arguably their next three best players, is that they're all pretty inconsistent. And so that's why I think that this series is a lot more interesting. I think Denver probably will pull it out just because of the sheer talent. Um, but I think they're vulnerable because if either of those three guys are in a cold streak and Pop has done what he always does and takes the best player out of the other the other side, then what's left? You know, what's left? What what are they? How are they going to be able to bounce back from that? Are they going to need to bring it off the bench to get some offensive production? I don't know. Okay, so I think that makes sense. And now I kind of see what, um, you know, like what you mean by like the Jokic scheming. But I kind of do like the Denver home court advantage. I think it's one of those home court that's actually like when you say home court advantage, they actually do have a real advantage with the altitude there. And, you know, the Spurs do have more playoff experience. But let's take someone like DeRozan. Yeah, he's been in the playoffs, but we've seen that his track record in the playoffs is pretty spotty. It's not that great. He's not someone who's shown that he elevates his game in the playoffs um even some even like Aldridge he's not been having like great playoffs like a couple years ago in that Western Conference Finals like after Kawhi went out um against the Warriors like Aldridge was like he couldn't elevate a team like by himself like completely and Draymond Green just took him out of that series like so it's not like Spurs do have more playoff experience but it's not like they're those players have shown that they elevated their games to another level in the playoffs yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be a great test for Denver. I think we we know that they've overproduced this whole year. And this is the time for them to show to the rest of the Western Conference that they're here to stay, right? If they lose this series, um, I don't think that that's the end of their, their run, obviously, because they're also young. But I think it puts a big dent in their, I'm here to stay. I think, I, I think they want to show that last year was their you know, the quote-unquote year where the young team comes in and has to take the punches and learns from them. I think losing at the very, losing, missing out on the playoffs in the very last game of last season uh, to Minnesota was was them taking that punch. And they have to show that this, this year that they're ready for being in the playoffs and ready for not just being in the playoffs, but producing in the playoffs. Yeah, that's true. I think it, it'll be exciting to see uh, who do you ultimately like in this series. I mean, I think Denver wins this. Like you said, home court advantage. Um, they also have been... To, I mean, San Antonio has also been together for a while, but they think that one good thing about Denver from a lot of the Western Conference and Eastern Conference team is that they haven't had much turnover in terms of their best players. And so they have a little bit of harmony. So yeah, they haven't had playoff experience, but if you look at someone like Philadelphia, who was in the playoffs last year... Um, their team is completely different. So does that playoff experience for those few people really matter that much compared to Denver, who's been playing together for a couple of years now? Yeah, same. I mean, I think I like Denver too in this series. I think it'll, it might go... Yeah, I think it may do may go seven games just because I'm not sure how equipped Denver is to win those road games. Um, and San Antonio is a great home team. So especially for like, that's where I think the lack of experience will come in on the road but the fact that they have that game seven at home i think that'll be good for them yeah i agree i think i was gonna say denver in seven as well all right so who do you want to hit on next 
man, all these Western Conference uh, team, <laughs> teams that are left are going to be super exciting. I guess we'll f- uh, finish off the Eastern Conference. Uh, Boston, Indiana is the first one that was sort of set in stone. I think these two teams have been uh, dancing around each other for a while now um, with who's going to get the fourth seed and who's going to get the fifth seed. And uh, unfortunately, you know, I think the series could have been way more, way more exciting if Oladipo was there. And he's, and he's not, of course. Um, which I think is a huge advantage for Boston. That's not to say Indiana has underproduced since Oladipo went down. I think uh, Bogdanovich has done an amazing job changing his game mid-season, essentially. I mean, this was a guy who was thought of as a defensive liability. And now, last year, we saw him, like, guarding LeBron, obviously, not to the best of his... Like, he's not he's not a LeBron stopper of, by any means, but he held his own. And this year, he's showing that he's more than just a spot-up shooter. He's... Uh, a much more valuable offensive asset and probably earned himself a lot of money but ultimately I think Boston just has way too much talent on their side and the one piece of talent that's really important that they have this year that they didn't last year is playoff Kyrie uh, who we know is a killer if the games are close at the end you know that he's going to come through for you Um, and as long as Boston doesn't implode uh, I can see them walking away from this series um maybe being even more harmonious than they were before. <laughs> yeah, I think that's been the key for Boston all year because we, we see that they have like the most talent by far in the Eastern Conference. Uh, but it's been that chemistry and the harmony that's been throwing them off all year. And now it's, now it's the time for them to walk the walk because all the times that they were having trouble in the regular season, they kept saying, especially Kyrie, he's like, I'm tired of the regular season bullshit. Like, just want to get to the playoffs. So, I mean, the playoffs are here. So now it's... Now it's, you know, now's the time. Like, I'm sure Kyrie will come through, but just a matter of, like, you know, how they play together as a team. Because the Celtics are, like, I feel like this whole season they've been, like, the ultimate front runners. Like, when when times are good and when they're playing together, like, they're get, getting wins, they're, like, a really good team. But as soon as they get hit with some, like, adversity or a team, like, comes at them and then it's, like, a close game, or then they kind of, like, fold, especially when they're playing to lesser competition. But that team plays together and hard and that's exactly what Indiana is um but what about the smart injury like how do you think that's going to affect Boston I think it's huge actually I think that they're uh had they played a different team where I thought that they needed to be you know a1 on their defensive end I think that that would be a huge problem for missing smart because he's by and far the best defender on their team uh, both in the team setting and in the individual setting he's probably uh, at least on the first or second all-defensive all, all team um, this year. And his injury, uh, although they make it sound like it's quite small, it sounds like a pretty large injury to me. And even when he does come back, I don't know if he's going to be able to have the lateral quickness that he'll need. Um, and so I, I think that's a big loss for Boston. The only positive thing from it is that they have one less player. And I think that the one thing that they have been struggling with all year is they had just too many bodies to try to fit into a roster and so you know last year they were missing Kyrie and Hayward and we could arguably say that those were their two best players maybe just uh, this is addition by subtraction by just having someone missing and I don't know if that's a radical take but that's what I feel maybe missing him is is going to be a good thing for them overall even though it'll be bad for them defensively yeah I mean now you could just put Jalen Brown in the starting lineup. Um, 
you know, split the minutes, like like you said, with one less person, which could be good for this team. But, I mean, Smart, I think more than his on-the-court play, from everything, like, I've read and heard, like, he's kind of their um, emotional leader. And the guy, like, when Kyrie's maybe, like, complaining about the young guys, like, he'll, like, talk to the young guys. And he's kind of that, like, medium between Kyrie and the young guys. And now they're going to miss it. I mean, he'll still be there on the bench and stuff, but it's a different when you're actually playing in the game and on the court. So it's it's a, it's bad timing. I mean, it could it's probably better timing for Boston in the sense that maybe they don't need him for Indiana, but they'll definitely miss him if he's not available for yeah. that second round series. Um, but I think ultimately Boston will take this in five games. Um, I, I think those last couple games against Indiana in the end of the regular season, Boston showed that you know if they get it together, that the Indiana unfortunately without Oladipo, it's it's going to be tough for them to stay in this series with Boston. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I was actually going to say, I, I could see them. Uh, Indiana has a pretty good home court as well. I could see them holding on to two games. So I think probably Boston six. Um, yeah, yeah. So ultimately, I think we both like Boston. Now we're down to two of the more exciting series uh, in, 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 the, in the playoff picture. I think both of these series are amazing. I think all four of the teams are really talented. What do you want to talk about next? Uh, yeah, we could we could talk about uh, Houston and Utah. Uh, another rematch from last year. I think this was the yeah this was the semifinals last year in the Western Conference. So they're meeting around earlier, and a lot pretty much both teams are very much the same uh, in terms of their core players. Like with the Rockets, you have you still have Harden, Capella, CP3, Tucker, and then the with the Jazz, you still have Rubio, Mitchell, Gobert, Favors. Crowder. I think the one actually big difference is Rubio didn't play in that series last year because he was hurt. Um, so he'll be there. Uh, but, you know, it's so it's not a lot much has changed. But, you know, it could the one thing I do like about the Jazz this year is I feel like they started to play at closing lineups with Crowder instead of Favors. And that kind of opened things up for them because then you have an extra shooter for Mitchell. Uh, but who do you like? I mean, what are your thoughts on the series? Well, I think this is the series of both teams coming in a little bit scorching hot, right? Like, Houston had a really tough start to the season. Utah had a little bit of a tough start to the season, which was a little bit unprecedented because both teams, like you said, had the same core. Donovan Mitchell really struggled um, in the beginning of the season. And then we already know what, what Harden is all about. We already know what Paul is all about. So there's no questioning uh, Houston's abilities. Uh, it's more so going to be about Utah and are they going to be able to scheme these players? Uh, the toughest thing is going to be who's going to guard uh, who's going to guard James Harden um, from from the Utah team. They're a really talented defensive team, but I think that the one thing that they are probably weakest at is uh, is wing defending. Um, and James Harden, you know, is not the traditional wing, but he if you put him against someone that's small like Mitchell, I think he'll he'll just shoot over him and I think if you put someone like Crowder on him I think he'll be able to cherry pick a lot of fouls on someone who I think plays with using his hands quite a bit uh, the one matchup that is kind of s- secretly going to be really exciting for me uh, is going to be Gobert versus Clint Capella because I think that they both are perfect for their systems I think Gobert is an amazing defensive player and Clint Capella is a rim, rim runner but neither of them are the focal point of their offense so it's going to be who can win that matchup because I think that's going to ultimately 
be the deciding factor because Mitchell's going to show up and hopefully get his and Paul is going to do his great thing. Um, James Harden's probably going to drop 50 at least once in the series. And so I think it's those big guys in the back who might be the ones that dictate the who's going to win the series. Yeah, and Utah is like good at defending like last year, like they were good at defending guys like Russell Westbrook because they could just channel him into Gobert and that's like the essence of their defense. Basically, like, give guys driving lanes, take away the three, channel them into Gobert. Um, but, you know, that's it's easy to do that when you know someone like Westbrook. He's just going to keep attacking the rim at all costs. And you don't mind that because, um, you know, you know he, he's going to continuously do that. But I think Harden's a guy who, like, kind of figures out what the defense is going to give him and not. And he has everything in his... He has a more well-rounded offensive game. So there's really no stopping Harden. It's, like, how much they can take away the other guys and I think teams have almost like started resorting to that it's like let Harden get his and we're just gonna start double teaming him and like give the other guys open threes and take our chances and that's what Utah may end up having to do ultimately yeah I think Utah is I think Utah this is the year where they can show if what they're made of right last year was the year where they came a little bit out of nowhere with Donovan Mitchell producing much quicker than what was expected and yeah. now and this team has been together oh, for sorry. a while. Yeah, that too. And I was just going to say, like, last year they were super banged up with, like, no Rubio. Even Mitchell got hurt during the series um, because after that tough OKC series. So they're coming in more healthy this year. And I actually, the one addition I do like for Utah is Corver. I think we, we haven't talked about him much. Um, just another shooter for Mitchell to space the floor. I think that's going to help him a lot, especially in the playoffs. And Corver's a guy who's been there in the playoffs quite a bit and has finals experience. So that should help this Utah team. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, I, I as much as I hate to watch him, I think James Harden might be too much for, for Utah. Um, I do expect this to be a really competitive series, which I think is a bad thing for whoever makes it to the next round and probably plays Golden State uh, because I think both of these teams could give Golden State a little bit of trouble, but not a well-rested Golden State team. Um, so I think I, I can probably see Houston taking this in a in six yeah i think i'll take the rockets in five like just like you said i think utah's gonna struggle like i think it's gonna be one of those series where it's five games but it's a close five games where because because of utah's like good defense but i think it's just gonna be too hard for on the other end for utah to keep up with the houston uh when utah's on offense yeah exactly i think it's just gonna be too much for them so it's, it's a bad matchup, unfortunately, for Utah. I'm sure they would have had, loved to draw Portland instead of Utah. But, I mean, sorry, Portland instead of Houston, but can't help the draw sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, la- the last few games of this uh, this season were quite remarkable because I wasn't. we weren't quite sure what Denver was doing. Were they trying to tank? Uh, wasn't wasn't quite sure what, what was happening with these teams in terms of trying to make seeding work out. But we can talk about the last series, which I think is definitely going to be the most competitive series, and how yep. all the stars had to align for 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 OKC essentially to have the series that they do. Um, I think OKC Portland is going to be a lot of fun. I think both teams have a lot to prove after last year, right? I mean, um, OKC lost to Utah, uh, almost embarrassingly so for a Utah team that was sort of the young guns uh, yeah. somehow even though that happened and Paul George was kind of uh, destroyed last year he came back to the team and has been remarkable for most of this year until he got that shoulder injury uh, and then Portland obviously was 
really, really, really embarrassed last year after having an amazing season. That they were the third seed last year too, um, and sort of the the wheels fell off when they saw the prowess of Anthony Davis. And so this is the year of resurrection for each, either one of these teams. Uh, fortunately for OKC, uh, Portland is coming in quite banged up. I mean, McCollum has been dealing with injury for the most of the second half of the season, and the guy that's going to be missing that I think uh, is would have been the difference maker here is Nurkic. Um, missing him to be there to guard Stephen Adams uh, or slow them down, or even just to be the guy in the paint in the paint for. Uh, for exactly what you said, uh, slow down Russell Westbrook when he gets to the when he gets to the bucket. I think that that's that's ultimately the worst thing that could have happened. I mean, if Enos Cantor is starting for Portland, or <laughs> or, or or Collins is going to start for Portland, um, it's going to be miserable because they'll just keep running pick and rolls. And uh, I mean, Westbrook is just going to feast if that happens. Yeah, especially since Cantor used to play for the Thunder, so. I'm sure they know exactly how to attack Cantor. They know his deficiencies and how to attack him. So just the loss of Nurkic was is just terrible. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, it couldn't have worked out better for OKC, where a couple, I think with like four games left, they were the number eight seed. So they were looking at the prospect of facing the Warriors in the first round. Would have just been a colossal like defeat for them. Uh, but now they... They probably drew the best of the top four seeds. I mean, the matchup-wise, in Portland, just because of how much they're weakened and banked up. So they avoid. They got the best possible matchup. So I think even though they're the lower seed, they actually should be the favorites in this. Uh, the w- only way I see Portland having a chance is they have to hope Russell Westbrook is erratic and takes a lot of threes <laughs> and uh, playoff P the. That he has to like not be playoff P and perform yeah. like and be like last year and like just struggle, and that's pretty much the only way. Because I mean, if you go through the, I mean, OKC like swept them in the regular season, like they won all four games, and that was even when Nurkic was playing. Like like now no Nurkic, and so unfortunately it's it's a tough draw for Portland, which is why I didn't understand why they wanted to win that game. I mean, it looked like they wanted to lose, but somehow like the those uh, G League players like took them to a victory, which I don't know if they wanted to, because now they drew uh, the OKC instead of like getting to play Utah. And I know I think we were texting about this that now at least they avoid Golden State in the second round. But I think like a team like Portland after getting swept, it's like almost like you should worry about just getting out of the first round first yeah. and then then if you lose to golden state in the second round like that's like completely understandable no one's gonna fault you for that but like now another first round loss for portland that's gonna be that's gonna be pretty bad for them yeah and i mean uh it's a it's a, it's a horrible matchup and i think this has been the bane of the existence of teams that have had a good one two uh backcourt punch right i mean we saw that used to be the, the Raptors until DeRozan was gone because it just didn't work out there. We've seen what, what a uh, colossal mess that's been for Wall and Beal, even when Wall was healthy. And the one that had been succeeding with that kind of um, reliance in terms of offensive support has been Portland. But what we've seen is it's a great regular season thing, but in the playoffs it's really hard, especially because both those guys are a little bit undersized. Um and so now I'm, I, I assume they're probably going to put Paul George um, on Damian Lillard during crunch time, um, if not the whole game. And that, I mean, that's if you can neutralize Dame, where are where's Portland going to generate any offense from? 
Um, that's a good question. Like, it's 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 looking kind of bleak. I mean, it's, I mean, you could maybe CJ, but even that, it's the I was I think I read this somewhere where it was saying that the point differentials are so uh, like Paul George. So the difference between him off the court and on the court is like a seventeen point differential. Wow, and that's that's number one in the league, right? And number two is Dame. Um, so that's just great. And he hits 16-point differential. Wow. I guess in the playoffs, the thing is, like, everybody plays, like, especially the star players, they're playing, like, 40 minutes or more in the playoffs. Um, just because you don't you don't worry about, like, uh, depth in the playoffs as much because you're having the days off. So I guess Dame is going to be pretty much on the court. But I think New Orleans last year pretty much gave us the blueprint of beating these Blazers in the playoffs where you just, like, every Dame... Lillard pick and roll you just put two two guys on him on Dame. and just yeah put two and blitz him and just say like all right some of the other four guys on the floor beat us because we're not gonna let Lillard beat us yeah yeah uh and I think uh Westbrook is a little bit of a matchup disaster for them not both for McCollum and Lillard I feel like they're both you know may try hard on defense but they're both a little bit undersized and um, I think Westbrook is going to have a uh, have a nice offensive series if he can get to the paint. Um, the question is going to be where is the outside shooting from Thunder going to come if if Westbrook is going to drive to the paint and kick it out besides Paul George. Yeah, um, I think both teams are a little bit lacking in shooting. It's like yeah, like you said, the Thunder. I mean, Terrence Ferguson is pretty much like hit or miss. Uh, the loss, like, this is one underrated thing, I think. People didn't, like, Alex Abrinas, I think, we don't really know what happened. They just said it was a personal issue. Um, so he left the team. So that he was one of their big, like, stretch of the floor guys with the three. Um, he's actually a bigger loss than people. I think people are realizing for them, especially the way they struggled after the All-Star break with those losses. Because um, they basically have no shooting if Terrence Ferguson and... Uh, Jeremy Grant, Abdel Mader, like all these guys, they're very hit or miss on threes. Like the games that they're making it, OKC will win. When they don't, then it's like you kind of need Paul George to do a lot more. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately for Portland, both seasons, last season and this season, they've been getting into the playoffs uh, a little bit compromised. I think last year, CJ had an injury towards the end of the season that had him hobbled. I don't think he missed any games, but... um, and then this year losing Nurkic, it just seems like the basketball gods have been against them. Yep. Uh, so who do you like? I mean, I think I'll, I'll, just, I'll just go with I think ultimately I like OKC in six in this series because game six will be in Oklahoma City. Yeah. And um, I think they'll close out the Blazers in six. Yeah, I think I agree. Uh, I think Dame can easily win one or two games, and I think that's what he'll do. Yep. All right, man. This is good, like getting through the matchups now. Let's see if like when the games actually start. Yeah. how they play out because you it's always like fun to like analyze this stuff but until they actually start playing them you never know yeah i just want to give a quick uh shout out to dirk and uh wade for who and whoever is listening i think those two guys had went about retiring in a dramatically different way with a wade sort of touring around the the basketball scene all year long and dirk doing what he quietly did which is just duck away from the limelight and then just say on the very last day that he's ready to go but both those guys amazing careers uh want to just thank them for pretty much entertaining us for the last you know 15 to 20 years uh for both of them and so um it's gonna the the nba is gonna be very different without them yeah two incredible careers and 
especially I mean Wade like I think his highlight moment will always be those 2006 finals and Dirk is just <laughs> some guy like he more than like the individual games though just the way he changed the whole NBA where he, like he was the first like real stretch four or even like stretch five like when he's playing center and now it's like become so common that big men can shoot yeah yeah and he led this uh great revolution for uh international players uh having a chance here and so he's changed a lot of lives wade has changed a lot of lives uh for sure has changed uh what basketball had, has meant to both of us and so it, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see that I think at least Wade is going to stick around probably at some point come back he's too much of a personality to stay out of basketball for too long yeah whether it's media I, I definitely can see him getting into media um, yeah. pretty pretty quickly and he said he's going to be living pretty a lot more in LA next year so I think he should have plenty of media opportunities exactly alright man can't wait for these games to start yeah time to kick back relax and watch some amazing basketball Yep. All right. So let's see how the games play out. And then hopefully by the next time we talk, we'll have a little bit more to analyze on these series. Sounds good later, man. All right. See you.